Coming to you live from the Super Fortress Hardcore Genki, it's the Raggedy Jam Podcast with your hosts, Raggedy Man and Pink Apple Jam. Hello and welcome to the Raggedy Jam Podcast. I'm Andrew Raggedy Man Watton Davis. And I'm Laura Pink Apple Jam Watton Davis. And this is our month, July 2017. In comics, film, TV, fandom, conventions, and assorted other geekery, nerdery, and being excited about stuff. First up for this month's show... Feedback! Yay! People have fed back. Thanks! It's always nice to know that we're not just sitting here in the Super Fortress, miles atop Cambridge, looking down. Shooting into the other like Twitter. Well, we're not like Twitter. We haven't actually committed any hate crimes, so we're nothing <laughs> like Twitter. Yes, we have got feedback. Guy Mackey. Thank you, Guy. Uh, he said, really enjoyed the last one. I'm glad you beefed up the length. Ah. Yeah. We're still liberating on length. We don't want it to be too long that it gets boring. and We don't want it to be too short that we don't cover anything. Yeah, selfishly, my attention span is really short. <laughs> so I don't listen to podcasts if they're longer than about <laughs> half an hour. So that's why I didn't want it to be like an hour. Whereas I, li- I, I listen to hardcore histories where a short episode is six hours. So Oh, gosh. That's it's not... really good stuff. I'm sure. But, that's... but yeah, so we're aiming. I think we've now got it at around about somewhere between half an hour and an hour depending on how dull things get yeah it's not going to be longer than an hour so there you go yeah get ready for that and from michael k jones the one of the old lester crowd uh i listened and enjoyed <laughs> thanks <laughs> someone listened to it and enjoyed two of the main criteria of people liking our stuff bonus <laughs> usually it's just one nice thing with feedback so the day the days are long the nights are short it's all nice and sunny outside hey laura how did you spend the last days of may Oh, well, outside it was very hot and we stayed inside the entire XL Centre Docklands in London for, drumroll please, that'll do, MCM Comic Con. It's like holidaying in an aircraft hangar. Yay. Or as I call it, Friends Con. (laughs) (laughs) Friends Con. MCM is basically the number one hub where I get to meet people I've known for a million years, but because most live near London, I guess, or at least travel down to London, because MCM Comic Con is the UK's biggest comics convention. So, yeah, everybody's there. And it's great. And I, it's twice a year in London, and I can only do one. It's that exhausting now. I've actually had to not do... I think I mentioned this in the last podcast. I couldn't do one for a year and a half because of health issues and whatever. And it's three days long, which is really gruelling. Four days. No. We got there on the Thursday. Well, set up for <laughs> Thursday, correct. However, selling Friday, Saturday yeah. and Sunday. Once upon a time, it only used to be Saturday and Sunday. And then, it was, and then it was half a day on a Friday, which was like exclusive friends con because the only people that turn up on Friday would be the people that would be selling. <laughs> and now it's just filled with people. Even when we were turning up on the Thursday, you could spot the weeb from a mile away. Yeah. It's one of those events where, from what I'm aware, there are quote-unquote fringe events, uh, by which I mean people just organising stuff and bugging the, hey, we're doing it at NCM. Stuff. There's now stuff happening from the Thursday through, I believe there's some meetups happening on the Tuesday. So at MCM Comic Con, the fringe events cover shenanigans happening outside yeah. the usually 9am till 6pm-ish selling time, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And this includes like an after party yeah. and just sitting on the grass and doing some things next to a massive Attack on Titan video board. Yeah. Am I correct? To, to make life really simple, you've got the main event, which is the Friday, Saturday, Sunday, 10 o'clock till 5, although it starts and finishes late on different days. 
right? So that's the MCM, and that's when they take over the whole of it, of Expo. You've then yeah, got the fringe... actually, yeah, I'll interject because you can't actually l- legit enter the building unless you have a comics pass. Oh, like once upon a time when MCM was Friday, no Saturday, Sunday, you could go into the concourse, whereas they were, literally will not let you into the building now because MCM takes up the entire Expo. Oh, Ducklands. all that. That was when you had other things happening or mm. whatever. It's now it's the whole building, but. On top of that, you've got the MCM Fringe, which is more of the cosplay community stuff yeah, happening. Yeah, like, we don't see any of this because we're inside selling. Yeah. <laughs> so now, we've, we've heard it from third you've now parties. Got the, you've now got the Fringe Fringe, which is... Because <laughs> the Fringe got too mainstream, this and that's is, now officially part of MCM. So that's not cool. This is so a bit ne- meta now. Yeah, <laughs> you've now got the Fringe Fringe, fringe happening. And that there's there, there were meetups happening. I believe that there were definitely things happening on the Thursday. There were definitely things happening on the monday adding on to stuff like that and from what i'm aware i don't know if they were like just groups of chums or if there's like big proper things happening but there's things happening on the wednesday and things happening on the tuesday morning so it's now like basically seven days of complete weeb which is great <laughs> if you like that sort of thing <laughs> if you like that kind of thing i turned up and sold stupid badge and upset people yeah uh, it was but yeah it's, it's it's um it's now that officially the uk's largest comics and geek event Hmm. Although I'm not quite sure what it is any longer because, yeah. Well, it says it's Comic-Con and recently there was a marketing survey that went around asking everybody what they were looking forward to at MCM Comic-Con. And this included movies and video games and TV. Actually nothing to do with comics. Yeah. Nice one, guys. Some of the movies did have, I mean... Yeah, they they were, had... yeah, yeah, yeah. They were comic book films. Yeah. They were comic book TV series. The questionnaire legit did not ask any questions about comic books. No. The medium. So what we attend at MCM Comic Con is... Drumroll, please. Very good. The Comics Village! Yay! Yay! Put in the comic in Comic Con. <laughs> so, the Comic Village, uh, which is where Andy and I um, sell mainly my comic books and bits and bobs, um, is a whole row of tables. There's like loads, of, hundreds, just under 500 tables possibly at MCM. There's loads. Yeah. Um, and indie sellers like myself um, hawk their wares and then swap with other comics creators and basically start talking about there just were... doing their own thing really so the comic village was in a massive void oh yeah that was uh the layout of the comics village did not match the map the map changed two times three times three there was, times there was a map online and then there was a map in print uh which obviously went up went out to print before the map went out online and uh, neither of which matched the actual layout of the comics village on the final day so god knows what was going on with that mcm anyway so it was great it was fun but it would be nice to be able to direct people to your table you know but we can't complain it's the tables are a good price uh we get access to the entire event for over the course of the three days we're allowed to come in and set up yeah on the thursday we do get a fair share of space there's massive banners hanging over the comics village saying hey comic village people are here so it directs people there is a massive key in the mcm booklet that's about six pages long three spreads just full of everybody who's on the comic who is in the comic village Mm. um yeah so you know despite it's 
the failings that we felt were happening in May, it's still a great event. Don't get us wrong. It just would be nice after how many years? Ten years of this sort of thing running, you know, to be on the map in the place where you've been told you're going to be so that you can tell people where you're going to be so they can come and buy your comic. I have no clue what was going on with that because, as you said, it changed three times. And they had massive, not just near us, but all over the place, they had about two or three massive great voids in the middle of the halls that no one was really sure. And we're talking a couple hundred feet by a couple hundred feet, just empty spaces with nothing in them. Yep, that's a void, all right. So I don't know what was going on with that. So uh, it'd be good to not have a void and maybe some more comic village tables next year. That'd be nice. So we'll see. Particularly, but the the map also led to the, the, uh, the saddest moment of my time there. Uh, I think it was a 10-year-old South London kid coming over and asking me, the, the nice responsible storeholder, if I knew where. I, th- I can't remember what it was. Universal Studios? Universal, yeah. Hmm. Asking asking where that store was and me looking at the map and trying desperately to find it where it was because I can't quite put a finger on it. But the, He had that amazing voice that only a 10-year-old South London kid could happen, that my inability to point to him on a map exactly where the thing he wanted to be was was just my utter failing as an adult. And he will never trust anyone over the age of 18 ever again. I'm going to blame the people that set out the MCM map for that, that though. Was, I, think, that was... I think people think the maps are a bit of an afterthought, but actually with an event as yeah. big as MCM, no. Can you please sort it out? But yeah, I mean, it's, it's, You made a 10-year-old sad. You made a 10-year-old make me feel sad. That's made, even worse. You made Andy sad. That was that was harrowing. But it's it, lovely event, love, lovely things going on. There's to give them credit, there were comics there cuz there was uh there was two or three comic shops had their wares. There was Panini, there was um 2000 Sheffield, AD were there. There was Panini, there was 2000 AD, there was Sheffield Space Center. There was Titan um, there was Marvel stall. There was a DC stall. I don't know if that was sh- if that was uh, existing shops fronting for. I think some the of publishers. those actually. I think some of those shops had a bit of a crossover. Like right. Panini was selling Marvel, for example. Ah, fair enough. So they did have comics, but it definitely wasn't a big focus. But they also had an awful lot of bobbleheads. Bobbleheads. I know Funko Pops. Funko Pops. Yeah. Because you had the official Funko Pop stall, <laughs> and to the left and to the right, you had stalls just selling Funko Pop. Yeah. So masses of that going on. Lots, lots of repeats on that. And certain amount of shonk getting sold and then getting busted. Oh, Andy, what do you mean by shonk? Uh, dodgy rip-off products. Yeah, like, if you're going to make your bootlegs, at least make your bootlegs look cute. Yeah, but trading standards went on a bit of a shopping spree of their own. So. Yeah, and it was good to see, to be honest. So, uh, yeah, in the black bag- bin bags, they went. Yeah. And uh, we got a bit of a front row seat for that, for a shop which will not be will, named will not be named um however we, we basically got front row seats with that watching their bitter tears as their stock got taken away for being shonk saturday was a good day yeah it was fun <laughs> um all over it was fun it's, it's, it's the weird thing with the event it's it is fun as long as you make it fun yeah the people were fun yeah the people were fun everyone was nice you do get you get minimal douchebags and i can mm. handle minimal douchebags um if it was douchebags all day we wouldn't do it but it's like 0.001% douchebag oh, yeah. and i can cope with that and that's fine I would like to say there was. I think there was a, there was an increased police presence because of all, oh, all yeah. the unpleasantness. But the cops were great. Yeah. So MCM would have been the. It was the weekend after yeah. the horrible Manchester yeah. Ariana Grande concert. Um, so yes, there was an increased security presence at an event such as MCM and other events around the UK. Actually. Oh yeah. But yeah, the police were really approachable. Yeah. Um, you know, best cosplay. <laughs> The only bit that upset me 
was on the Sunday morning we were going along and there was someone with a brilliant Deathstroke the Terminator costume walking along with all his kit you know all his weapon kit out which not too keen on um yeah there was like there was a lack of consideration from a certain bunch of attendees who thought it'd be okay to take along massive great big cosplay guns without any of the orange tape on the nozzle which is the legal requirement yeah. to bring in anything that resembles a weapon uh, out in public um common sense this is that rule has been out for a million years any forum any friend anybody will go so to have after that horrific event in manchester to turn up with a pretend gun is a bit dumb Uh, mcm did have a massive bin full of these guns and you know what i don't give a shit about your cosplay accuracy in a, a, a time such as that people really need to look outside their own bubbles and think how would somebody else feel about that and it's not to say don't take your gun you're an idiot absolutely not it's just please be considerate and maybe take to the next event especially during certain times such as this one thing i have to say the number of cosplayers i heard giving cosplayers shit for doing stupid things oh interesting was this when you were earwigging from our table uh this was from the table this was from wandering around this was um from seeing stuff on the forums the the bulk of the cosplay community were just yeah no shit went down we've got to be sensible yeah i think people are very navel gazy when it It, comes to that and you know step up just look outside your bubble some of it was obviously self-preservation of the hobby some of it was just them being really sensible the one oh the other big thing i did spot and this is something i'm seeing more and more and more of trend of there's like these 40 50 year old blokes going around the events and they've normally got cosplay children running around and they're wearing cosplays from old 70s and 60s TV shows. Oh, yes. So there was like a Kenny Averett. There, there was a Kenny Averett. There was a Citizen... At MCM, there was a Kenny Averett. There was a Citizen Smiths. Oh, uh, Monty Python clip club. Yeah, Monty, Monty Python costume. That was more of an overt of, 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 of overt one. I mean, it was a brilliant... Absolutely agreed. It was from the same era. There was... I think there was a guy going around as um, Keith Chagwin. <clears throat> the thing I like about him is that they... they they're clearly not completely comfortable with cosplay because you can never get a photo of them because they just don't understand the idea that you want to take a photo of them but they're just representing their old the youth they grew up in and they're getting in into it with their kids and just turn up as this lovely little thing going on with that front very representative of british sense of humor i think yeah and if you don't the, the best bit is if you don't know the the tv shows if you don't know the really old tv because it is looking like normal people you won't spot its cosplay what did you pick up at ncm what did I, pick up? I picked up the latest issue of drug and wires drugs and wires Drugs and wires um it's a lovely lovely series um done by cryo claire and lol black um it's mostly available online and uh, whenever they get an issue full issue together they publish it and it's a old style 90s cyberpunk in that they they basically just ignored all logic and all sensibility and gone right that vision that we had for the future in the 90s we're sticking with it it's following misadventures of dan a recovering br junkie and lynn who's a half cybernetic installer half riot girl she's a black uh market nurse isn't she yes 
Or doctor, rather. Black market doctor. Black market doctor, if you're cool with the idea of someone finishing a curry and having a smoke whilst implanting highly com- complicated cybernetics directly into your head. So you get you get the eye upgrade and a bit of ash around the edges. Yeah, she's my favourite. She literally she's... does not give a shit. <laughs> For me, as someone who, who grew up with that 90s cyberpunk thing, and then obviously we worked out the fact that... <laughs> Yeah, none of it makes any sense and it all looks a bit silly and that wouldn't actually work. The fact that they stuck with that aesthetic, even though it's clearly bobbin, so it's proper. It's not it's nice to see Cyberpunk being its own retro futurism. Mm. Uh so that was pretty that was a pretty nice get. Got that one signed. And I got the fifth issue of Moon. Um this one's being done by Beyond the Bunker. Um the best way I can describe it, surrealist comedy about an avatar of the moon who doesn't talk because he's the moon. Uh, who now works for UK police and is trying to save the world from an evil stuffed teddy bear. It looks gorgeous. The pages are painted, or or at least they're in a very painted style. It's really, really surreal, but it's also got a... So there's just strangeness happening in it, and it's got its own internal logic of peculiarity. There's, I'm not... I would love to try and do spoilers at this point, but nothing in it is a spoiler, um, because the plot's just so fast and furious and going along as it is. And, but it's also got a lot of really good satire in it. So, for example, the police have got an, a, an a, a AI push bike, um, and they made it an AI by connecting it to the internet and downloading the sum total of human knowledge, uh, which means it's utterly useless because it's thick as pig shit, because it's Twitter given a voice. Um, I picked up um, a couple of comics. Uh, Wayfarer number one, art by Richard Rudge and story by Riley Jones. And I also picked up It's an Odd Kind of Fairy Tale, issue five. And this is by, forgive my pronunciation, Greta Line Rude. Um, Greta goes by Moonlaw online or P underscore Gretz on Twitter. Uh, quite different things uh, a bit of a post-apocalyptic future of way- in Wayfarer and it's an odd kind of fairy tale uh, but that's a pretty self-descriptive title um, yeah and also not directly at MCM although I did see her was uh, Lisa Cummins has done book four of Madame Butterscotch and she has just completed a very successful Kickstarter um, so that's come through the post all three are on my to-read to list so thanks very much for all those folks I will get onto those and enjoy reading them but yeah, if you do go to this event, do check out the artist because there's some really solid comics out there and some really experimental, oh, not even necessarily experimental, just different stuff out there. Yeah, comics drawn by people who enjoy reading and consuming comics. You know, you're not going to get the committee thinking, amalgamation, boring stuff. You just you're going to support people who really love doing what they do for the love of it. Meanwhile, at the comic bookstore from comics village indies to mainstream comics what have you picked up andy uh, i picked i've finally got my mitts on the sixth issue of doom patrol um the new series being done by jared way uh the latest reincarnation of this long-running series um for those people who don't know uh doom patrol started out in 1963 as a substitute um, story in My Greatest Adventures by DC Comics. Uh, it was invented by Arnold Drake. Uh, it was also worked on by Bob Haney and Arth- and Bru- Bruno Perini. And yeah, it's a, a series where the superheroes are essentially presented as as uh, disabled people. They've all got massive problems. They don't get on. It's a precursor to the X Men. Uh, and then Jero, it's it's gone through. A, it's got a really checkered publication history. Um, Stop starting. It, they did like a 
30 issue run in the 60s and then it did a run in the 80s uh, which had the grant which then morphed into the grant and morrison run which is probably the most famous where it's got really surreal and really cerebral and, and strange and they had rachel pollock um took uh, took care of that in the beginning of the 90s um and now and uh, they've had three relaunches after that all of which lasted about two years and then the most latest version is Gerald Way of My Chemical Romance doing the writing for it. So you said it's finished its first arc. It's finished so it's its a, first arc. So yeah. it's available as for people who didn't collect issue one, they can pick it up as a trade paperback. Yeah, it seems to be the new tactic that DC are doing with the Young Animals series, which is a collection of um, uh, stuff aimed at youths. Um, they will do the first arc, and then straight away they'll put the first six series into paperback, which means that it's good because that means people can jump in and you know when stuff's coming. It also means that thing you know everything's going to be a six issue arc, so I'm not quite sure what that does with the creative flow. Because if everyone already knows they've got to pin it within six issues, you, it kind of forces the hand on the writer. Surely that's no different from having a TV season. I would agree with you. It's not much different from that. So far, it seems to be working okay. Are the first six issues self-contained then? Uh, yeah. Well, it's a, it's a self-contained story. It's essentially setting up the latest iteration of the Doom Patrol, establishing what's roughly what's happened in the last uh, since they've been gone. So it's like a prologue to yeah. book two. Pro, it, yeah, it's essentially a prologue to book two, and it's a setup of of what's going on. So I guess we'll see what uh, book two looks like. Yeah, and that's, how that rolls. Uh, yes, eventually, once they finish the production delays, because. For whatever reason, there was a whole hoo-ha about whether the series had got cancelled because they'd done issue six and then there was no launch date for issue seven. And apparently it's because Gerald Ray, Gerald Way really wanted a certain artist to do it okay. and the schedules didn't, didn't work. So we've now got this big gap to oh, seven. I wonder, I, I wonder why they didn't communicate that then. I have no idea. I mean, Maybe they it, didn't know by the time the comic number six went to press or whatever. Yeah. But they, that's an easy sort of thing to discuss on social media. It's, it is. And as soon as the rumours started flying that it had been cancelled, counter-rumours started flying that it hadn't been cancelled and this whole thing about how it had been delayed. I mean, for a Doom Patrol fan, for someone who, you know, I'm used to going three or four years between series, a gap of a couple of months isn't that big of a hooey. But it's still, if you've got this this process going to just have a big ass gap especially when you've just spent six issues essentially getting everything to the point of then being able to start the story oh that's really weird though i mean gems come to the end of its main run on about 26 issues but right at the end of 25 it was clear at the end end body text that uh they announced that it was going to go on a little bit of a break and come the series is going to come back for encore and also the very last issue is like double size because it's concluding the the main act the 26 issues so as a reader i was like mm, okay you know no rumors or anything it was it was on social media or whatever i'm surprised that wasn't on social media maybe one person did one tweet or something about it and it got lost in the sludge fest which, i don't know i think that's poor especially when you're as big as that label if yeah. that's what's happened then that's that's rubbish I'm just concerned what it's going to do for sales because... Yeah, well, they've dug that hole, haven't they? So we'll yeah. see whether they can uh, come out of it. I mean, it's a relatively hard sell as it is because it's such a, a niche series. Well, it is and it isn't. I mean, you've had two iterations of it before. You had the Grant Morrison iteration and the iteration before that. And wasn't there another one? We've had... Oh, get ready, guys. <laughs> this is going to be a bit of a... There was the original Bobby Drake that started in, that started in My Greatest Adventures and then... They all died about 30 issues in. You then had the relaunch in the 80s, which um, 
didn't do great and then mutated into the Grant Morrison which then mutated into the Rachel Pollock you then had in the early 20s you had 20s sorry in the early in the early 2Ks we had another relaunch where they did it a little bit more of a comedy style um, you then uh, that one lasted maybe 28 issues you then had another series where they just scrubbed everything that had happened before and did a complete reboot and that lasted 18 because it was awful they then had another run which uh, was about five years ago which ignored everything from the from the fourth um from the previous batch and got back onto the strangeness wagon that had happened with the Grant Morrison and then that just petered out because people weren't buying it and now we're on this one which is by my reckoning the sixth attempt so TLDR this is not a new title oh god this is not a new title so why are they even doing that anyway let's let's move on they'll figure it out they will they will figure out the one thing I would like to do for anyone who is interested because you say it's quite an old title therefore to try and get up with it it's quite a meaty meaty thing to do however help is at hand with the lovely Waiting for Doom podcast, um, waitingfordoom.podbean.com, which is two lovely, insane um, Australians by the name of Mike and Paul, um, who do a uh, regular show going through the episodes of the series, um, talking about things not in any particular order. They call it Doomsplaining the series. Yeah, those podcasts are longer than an hour, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah Laura doesn't like them because they're longer than the hour, and Laura doesn't like Doom Patrol because it's just really 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 long and convoluted and full of bees i don't mind but you know i'd like to care about it so <laughs> did you try reading them in the end uh you haven't got issue one so no i'm not gonna start haven't you do patrol you had got number yeah. one shade the changing girl you didn't buy number one and there I was didn't. another one something with the cybernetic eye uh cape carson has a cybernetic eye which is another jared way story which has also gone on hiatus because of reasons even though that one's doing quite nicely that one's a kind of it's more of an adventure story under the earth it's kind uh, of fun I, yeah i mean i have i have no qualms with people being having the ability and the skill set to be able to jump into a story from issue two onwards but does that not feel like you're missing a massive part of the introduction to um, a really new, i don't know i don't you like can just I, read it on wikipedia it's not the point meanwhile at the movies Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman. So, like last podcast, I was like, "Please don't be shit," and uh, luckily, it wasn't shit. Hooray! Very good. It was shockingly good. I got my dad's review of it today. He messaged me, uh, "Good, but a bit long." <laughs> but to be honest, I think the longer the film, the more value for money it is these days because cinema tickets are quite highly priced. It was two hours and ten minutes, but I didn't feel punished by it. No, I did have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> But that's normal for me, I guess. Um, but yeah, it was all right. For those who haven't seen Wonder Woman, it's uh, Gal Gadot as... Um, Gail Gadot? Gail Gadot. This is why I don't do pronunciations for a living. Gail Gadot... Gadot try again. Gail Gadot uh, as Diana Wonder Woman, living uh, with the Amazons on the hidden islands of Theramacia. Themesira? Themesira. Living on the hidden islands of Greek, of Greek legend place until Chris... Pine turns up as Steve Trevor, intrepid spy, uh, bring World War One to the door, and then she had Diana has to head off to stop the war, the war by beating up the god Hermes. I've just realised the delivery company Hermes that nobody likes is, is named god after of war. the god of war. Yeah, well, it is like a complete battle to try and get your parcel from Hermes delivery. So yeah, that would make a lot of sense. Anyway, tangent. And amazingly, in this one, the god of war looks like a dull geography teacher. Oh. Um, yeah. Everyone loves it. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's it's 
DC have done something good. Yeah, it's because uh, the main character is hopeful and has an innocence and has a fighting spirit as opposed to Batman, oh, I've bedded another beautiful woman again. Oh, I've got to save Gotham City now. Oh, you know, I'm, so. So f- I'm so 50 and hungover and a super warrior. Fighting women, like women that actually... Kicked living shit out of things. Yeah, head-choppingly good. Um, you know, and they properly fought, and it wasn't about oh look at my airbrush titties. It was like land on the floor, and your thighs are gonna wobble and grr and arg. And the, but the look of hope in in Gail Gadot's eyes, even when she was fighting, that yeah. I thought was a you know a real powerful thing. Like, and also her attitude, like she has a, a weird purity in these weird mm. situations. Like she didn't give her monkeys when she was taking off all of her clothes in the middle of Victorian or whatever England. Well, it felt like Victorian Edwardian suffragette era. No, it would be Edwardian. Yeah, yeah Edwardian era. Um, you know, like oh, and there was that English sort of like not trying to draw attention by talking over the attention drawing incident by drawing attention to it with very english there was there was an incre- there was an incredible scene that could only be done in england mm. where she's where wonder woman is done in her new edwardian garb mm. and she's trying to exit the shop by a rotating door whilst holding her sword and shield <laughs> And obviously, she can't quite fit through the door for whatever reason. They they didn't take into account, um, you know, Greek sword and shield carry when designing these rotating doors. So she gets stuck in them, and no one, everyone's looking at her, but no one's saying anything. You could only have that scene in England because if it was set in Metropolis or whatever, you'd have a lot of people going and being loud and brash and American. Yeah, the suffragette friend who was Steve Trevor's secretary, who basically she was quite Lucy Davis as Etta Candy. Yes, that was just this. um, This film was so aware of what (laughs) it was. There was this amazing moment when Steve tries to disguise uh, Diana by putting a pair of glasses on her and Etta just turns around and goes oh yes of course a pair of glasses no one will no one will notice she's the most beautiful woman in the world if you put a pair of glasses on <laughs> and it just had so much politeness and condescension in equal amount it yeah. was Mwah! yeah it was uh, passive aggression at its finest <laughs> true, oh, it was, true British power <laughs> it was brilliant there, there was lovely moments in it I don't think it was perfect. No, um, I saw today that someone thought it actually didn't pass the Bechdel test. After all, they were talking about all these gods and Zeus and Hermes and the fighter and Hitler. And I was like, oh, interesting. If you want to be really strict on it, she leaves the island because of Hermes, the male Mm. god. Mm -hmm. And he is the main um, antagonist within it she's also she buddies up with uh steve the bloke to fight against the hitler folk to fight against to fight against i can't believe it's not hitler so yeah if you really i mean there were a couple of touches on that front that i didn't like like i didn't like the romance subplot a huge amount i just didn't think it was necessary and in everything else in it, I thought it was great. But that, like, I thought if it had just been a friendship rather than a romance between um, uh, possibly Steve, Steve and Wonder Woman, I, I would have preferred that. But it wasn't bad. But waking up in full makeup, <laughs> it's like wow, I want some of this Wonder makeup. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with your perfect bat wing eyeliner, that's amazing. I mean, I, uh, after being on a ship. Yeah. <laughs> it, 
it was very, very good. Possibly because the rest of the DC has been shit. Yeah, but let's hope that they continue, though. You I'm know. wondering what it's going to do to the rest of the DC. Cause Maybe make their superheroes have hope, though. Given, you know? Surely that's the point. Well, but... Given what they're like for rewrites, uh. how much does it put everything else on a backpedal as they go and rewrite everything else again? I'm really glad they got a female director on, though, to direct Wonder Woman. Yeah. Apparently Patty Jenkins, the director, she's been after wanting to make this film for years, like over a decade. How many people have been in that position? Well, exactly, but... You know, well done, Patty Jenkins. Thanks. Yeah. I really enjoyed your film. So well done, everybody. Meanwhile, on TV, Twin Peaks. Yay! Back on TV. Back on TV after twenty-five years, twenty-six yep. years, twenty-seven years. What's the meme? Over twenty-five years. Yeah, that'll do. Yeah, it's good. Written by Mac Frost and David Lynch, with Carl McLaughlin as Agent Cooper once so, more. So it's, it's basically the original. It's a lot, apparently there's a lot of backstage crew as well. Oh. So they've, they've had a number of, of, of the actual technical crew and the production crew. Oh, that's good. Yeah, so a lot of continuity. Yeah. I think it it looks like a modern version of Twin Peaks without replacing anything. Like the CG graphics suit the look of the previous two seasons. Uh, we got an LTV subscription set up so that we can watch it, so that my mum and dad can watch it as well, because they were the ones that were really into it originally at the time. Um, but we were really little at the time, so we they didn't let us watch it because it was basically pretty horrific in certain places. <laughs> it's still pretty horrific. Oh yeah, but you know, for the age that we were when it was originally yeah. on TV, we we missed out. But on subsequent DVD releases, we were able to uh, catch up with it. Uh, we like the fact that the evil dude Bob in the second season we took a photo and uh, tagged Andrew WK the rock star <laughs> in it and we said oh yeah Bob looks like uh, Andrew WK here and uh, Andrew WK liked the Facebook post yeah, so always that was good cool. to get a like from the party hard master so uh, yeah party hard but yeah, Peaks. plot wise uh, <laughs> what <can> plot <laughs> oh my god what is happening with well, this can, there's two levels to this number one um, yeah it's a bit of a fever dream so yeah, for uh, six episodes six episodes now. there's Cooper mm. has legged it from the White Lodge, kind of, and he's back in the real world, kind of, and stuff's happening. But that's the problem. Yeah, There's a lot of stuff happening, but I can't tell you what the plot is, because it's not really rushed towards telling a story. No, um, I'd say there is a bit of a lack of humour. There are glimmers, but it doesn't seem to have the laugh out loud loudness, sorry, that was in the previous season. It doesn't have the moments of warmth either. No, you're right. It does feel a bit cold. There's no plot points. There's just a series of incidents mm. happening all the way through. And we're a third of the way through. We're, you know, how many episodes? Are about we're quite... 24 episodes, is it? I think it's something like that. It's... You didn't know. Or well, maybe 18. I think but, it might be 18, yeah. And that, we're definitely a third of the way through then. I mean, I've, And I just feel really cross that no one has noticed that the Dougie character has basically had a massive stroke. Yeah. What, oh, what are people like not helping him out? There are some people that so, are kind of ignoring... that. Basically, the Agent Cooper character is kind of bumbling through the real world not really knowing where he's at due to spoilerific things that happens around episode two 
but people people are helping him around but they're not really helping him they're not really sending him to hospital he you know he's forgetful he can't string sentences together he he looks like for absolutely every purpose it he's had a massive stroke yeah and no one and these supposed to be a lot of sensible people around him have gone hang on you've had a massive stroke yeah. it's obvious you've had a massive stroke or, or something is not right basically whatever it is however he's acting i mean we know why he's acting because of the specific yeah. things that have happened into him well we this might sound really picky we've seen things happen to him mm. that we can point at and go that happened and then he started acting like that but we don't know what's happened yeah. we don't know why any of it's going on so I read somewhere someone said this is the directorial style is more like late David Lynch as opposed to early David Lynch, which is, who made Twin Peaks season mm. one and season two. So I think people who were expecting Twin Peaks season one all over again are no. obviously going to be sorely disappointed because you you're not going to direct something in the same way as you did yeah thirty years ago. I like what's going on. But I, I don't know if everything's going to pay off. The, the best way I can explain it is there's a scene with Michael Cera where he turns up and he's playing Lucy and Andy's son. And he's in it for five minutes, dressed up as Marlon Brando, giving some, like in a proper old 1950s Harley Davidson, all, all the, the Wild Bunch thing, giving some proper old ham about finding the American dream and going along the byways and highways of this great country and he delivers a message to the new sheriff who's the only sheriff they couldn't they couldn't get the sheriff back on for whatever reason they give they give a new to the new sheriff and you don't know if it's actually supposed to be a plot point or not and it's a lovely scene it's got a, a really solid strangeness to it you also don't know whether it's supposed to be funny whereas yeah. i actually thought it kind of was funny because it, was... it was so um in what's the word uh it was just endearing, I think, their dialogue. It was endearing and it was lovely. And I didn't want to punch Michael Sarah in the face, which oh, is... Once. Yeah, okay. that's an achievement. I've just got this horrible feeling that they basically... It did nothing. I don't know if he's going to pull it all out of the bag and it will all make sense at the end of it. And, but it's like that and so many other guest appearances where people have gone, wow, this is great stuff. We want to be in on that. And then, then David Lynch has been given all these stars going, hey, I want to be in on that. And he's gone, yeah, sure, I'll give you a little scene and we'll have a little taste of this and we'll have a little taste of that. And you're just left with a whole lot of little tastes of everything and no real meal. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll stick with it until the end of this season. But, you know, it'll be interesting to see how it pans out. It's yeah. got to be a massive build-up to something cool. Better. <laughs> Better. <laughs> After all this time. At but, the very yeah. least, they're doing something different. It, yep. It's a reboot where they do they could have done something a lot safer yeah and they haven't yeah fair play talking of reboots yay game show reboot yay, yay. oh this is a mixed bag of good and bad and indifferent i'm happy with it i'm looking forward to the crystal maze which is going to be on channel four on friday yay yay so um it's it is a, an entire reboot um the channel four did some specials uh, charity raisers in 2016 mm -hmm. um, Andy's dug up some facts there facts. are a 32,500 square foot maze in a custom built set Yep. and the teams of five will apply in a group uh, for 10 games per episode yes so we've got teams of five um, and the teams are actually people who know each other in the original Crystal Maze I never knew this no neither did I I think I read it in Den of Geek article so thank you Den of Geek 
uh, teams of five in the original Crystal Maze met up the night before and like had a meal and then they mm. got to know each other. Whereas, and, and then Richard O'Brien just kind of mocked them mercilessly um, for up to about 16 episodes, 16 games, sorry, per episode. Um, now we've got teams of five who apply in a group and these guys already know each other mm. so the dynamic is going to be different and they've reduced it to 10 games per episode again my attention span i remember watching the crystal maze in the 90s getting a little bit bored throughout the end so i th- i'm really excited i'm a big fan of richard ayoade anyway i think he's hilarious and he's deadpan and i think he will just add a little bit of energetic surrealism as opposed to maybe Richard O'Brien's deadpan surrealism I Andy's crunching his face up now <laughs> no 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 I love the, I love the, love Richard O'Reilly I think he's great I think he could be a very good presenter on it I just think the Richard O'Brien legacy is so strong that they're determined to have strangeness in it sure I mean Ed Tudor Pole suffered from oh yeah the what Richard O'Brien established in the original series. Madly, because he just couldn't pull it off. He couldn't, but it was different. And again, like with Twin Peaks, are people Mm. expecting exactly the same? And if so, isn't that a bit boring? Shouldn't people just, you know, absorb what's been delivered and then make uh, their own take on it instead of go, oh, it never meets my expectations of a TV show I've never made in my entire life. Well, it's like with with the reduction in the number of the games. If they're going to make if they're going to make the games a bit more... If they do the games, quote-unquote, right, and if they make them a bit more in-depth, because they were like, oh, you got a one-minute game, you got a 30-second game. You know, they, they, they were very... Ob- there were a lot of games that went in which were quite obvious, and it was straightforward what you had to do, and, and it was half the joy of it was you just saw them going in and there, there was a skit someone did where there was like where they went into a room and there was a kettle and there was a tea bag and there was a cup and they didn't know what to do. Um... But it it could work, you know. The new format, I think, I'm all game for it. I I just wish they didn't press the strangeness of the presenter because I believe the shtick for Richard Iwadia in this one is that he's got a fake hand. He's got a one of these finger pointing, Points. yeah, fake hands with a massive finger, and like because the finger is so long, it keeps <laughs> breaking and snapping because he keeps waving it around everywhere, and I don't know. I'm, I'm, this is just stuff I've read. Yeah. I haven't even seen an episode, so yeah, it's I'm, gonna be fun. I I'm think. gonna I'm gonna put my colours on the tree and say, if it was him presenting it as, as himself without doing a shtick. I would be several kinds of crazy about it because I just think he's naturally funny and he's naturally but maybe, peculiar. Maybe, maybe that's not what they want. Though. Yeah, I, I just, I think Richard O'Brien had a really natural weirdness because the guy's mad. <laughs> just, just the guy's just eccentric beyond all belief. And since then, they've been trying to ramp up the eccentricity. And it's like, no, either get a presenter who's just straightforward, bug crazy, or let the presenter do their thing, like they did with Richard O'Brien. They let Richard O'Brien do his thing, and it was brilliant. If they let Richard O'Brien do his thing. He would be brilliant. As it is, he's just going to be really, really, really good. So, Let's see how it rolls out. Talking of incredibly weird choices of presenters, the gong show is coming back. Tell me about the gong show, Andy. The gong show is an amazing bit of Americana from the 70s where they had um, basically anyone in the LA area could apply to do this. um, And you had three mid-list stars... Um, and it was on every day, and you basically went on and did a did a show, and you had and you had until the horn went after two minutes, or until someone couldn't stand your act any longer and hit a gong. 
um, you won an obscurely precise amount of money, like seven, $768 and some cents or whatever, if you managed to win all the way through to the end of the week. And it meant that you had a combination of um, actual talented people turning up because Oingo, the Mystic Knights of the Oingo Boingo turned up at one point and there were a couple of bands that turned up and people you'd actually heard of went on it. And then you had people who just obviously had no talent whatsoever and quite possibly were it was a form of care in the community turn up and it was wonderful and it was wacky and it was off off the wall and they've now brought it back which is kind of cool even though we now live in the world of youtube so most people would have seen it however they got mike myers doing it ish mm. they got mike myers playing the host tommy Mil miltland and tommy miltland is this failed it's this character it's this utterly um convoluted character they've come up with where he he had this indistinguished he's, an, he's a british actor who had a certain amount of success in the uk then went over to america and has had not much success and he's had very various lawsuits against him and scandals and intrigues and all that um so to the point where his catchphrase refers i believe his catchphrase that he's going to be using refers back to a court case that he had at some point in the 80s which obviously he didn't because it's all made up and that's going to be the presenter of of the new gong show it's a show it's a show within a show for what's essentially just a very straightforward talent pre presentation and this has to be the singular most postmodern piece of nonsense i've come across so it's either going to be really good or really shit i think it's going to be really shit because i can't there's too much going on in on it and they've knackered as why have they rebooted something to do something so convolutedly well, it sounds like someone's had an idea and they've got an IP, so they'll watch the IP name on it. Like the gem film. <laughs> um, yeah, so it sounds like no one gives a shit about the original Gong Show and the original Gong Show fans are going to be horrendously disappointed. But the format's the same. Yeah, and it's not though, because you've just told me about all the backstory with the but That's Mike just Morris for the presenter. Character. Yeah, that, that's what I said. Yeah. The weirdness of, of any act they get is going to be obscured by the absurdity of having this false presenter. It's... So, yeah, you're going to watch it or listen to it? Or I'm not? probably going to give it a couple of shots to see what it's like just because I have to at this point. But this is like, I don't know, it's like it's like securing the light, the rights to El Dorado, the, the, the apocalyptically awful Brit British drama, and then doing it as a Chinese opera. It's... I'd watch that actually yeah okay that one I'd watch and if anyone's listening that can get me in a room with people I'd pitch it but yeah that, I think apart from anything else it just shows the apocalyptic collapse of Mike Myers career because he did the love guru and no one's forgiven him for that that's true I think it might still be on Netflix but it's like I am a massive fan of cringe humour like the humour that makes Andy literally literally leave the room like he can't cope with it the in-betweeners is like a prime example of when a, when something massively cringy happens and he actually cannot stand it and he will he will leave the room last night something happened on silicon valley which is a show that we'll get onto and he, he actually he left the house he actually went outside into the garden he was just so cringed out to he, do the do he watering couldn't, he couldn't yeah but we were in the middle of watching a tv show andy you don't just leave to water the bonsai you do when the scenes are that cringy oh man so anyway so case in point yeah. we'll see whether the cringe worthy factor of mike myers love guru 
make Sandy leave the room regards the gong show. Yeah. It's a shame because uh, we enjoyed Mike Myers' '90s, '80s, and '90s comedy, but yeah. we just don't know what's happened after the, after the past ten over the past ten years. So yeah, moving on. Moving on. What else is next? Oh, Price is Right. Oh, come on down! Yay! So Fremantle Media have commissioned a TX pilot. I have no idea what TX stands for, and my 0.5 seconds of Google searching did not reflect what it was, so I can't repeat it here. Uh, so The Price is Right is being made into a pilot with Alan Carr, comedian, Channel 4 chatty man. Ooh. Uh, the Price is Right has a special place in my, my heart because when you grow up in an auti- with a family that handles autism, there are, there are very specific things that you have to watch. And one of them in the, 90, in the 80s was The Price is Right. Uh, so I asked my brother, I said, what was your obsession with The Price is Right and, and why? Why were you just so enamoured with it? And he did say, the bonus pricing games after the one bid rounds, it has loads of variety. <laughs> okay, I've obviously blocked it out of my mind. Yeah. I just remember the uh, the catchphrases and the spinny wheel and lots of pound signs flashing everywhere. Yeah. Les- was it Leslie Crowther that used to pre- pre- present it in Possibly, the UK? yeah. I think. It's... It, it... Yeah, I, I and I, also my last fact: it is the world's longest running game show. Really? Ah, I thought Wheel of Fortune was the world's longest. Running. Oh well, let's uh, put them in the corner and they can duke it out. I have no idea. I think they're both quite. Mm. They're both very American consumerist. Yeah, that leads you on neatly to your point. The Price is Right is as a show. I've never really got into it because it's just fetishization of consumerism but what i want to know is if we're gonna have a return of the prices like right which is essentially the one percenter drama fest can we please get the gritty urban eastenders reboot for the realism that is supermarket sweep <laughs> okay I bet, I bet dale winton would be up for that oh dale wouldn't be up for anything if it involves travel and a cup of tea but <laughs> If we're going to have the prices right back, we need to get Supermarket Sweep. Supermarket Sweep was real. It was, you know, you did. It wasn't how much does this Jaguar cost. It was literally how much is a price. Is, how much is a pint of milk? It was. That's proper. interesting. I wonder because you know game shows. The concept of game shows, you sell a concept globally, like pop idol, and yeah. American pop idol, and X Factor, and everything. You sell a concept. So I do wonder whether. Price is Right and Supermarket Sweep are related because one is consumer goods whether it was the same company or person that pitched the idea I wonder whether they're connected if I remember correctly The Price is Right was invented in America uh-huh. Supermarket Sweep was invented in, in one of the more northern bits of Europe well you say invented but do you think the concept was purchased and then it, the concept was developed into supermarkets but the original concept might have been the same as the price is right we will do some digging around folks we'll have to do some research but yeah i I just because this shit's important i just think (laughs) you know we need to get the proper price is right supermarket sweep rivalry going and then you remember that scene from um anchorman where you had the news teams being each other Uh, i just think the the urban yeah i just think the price is right versus supermarket sweep and a no hull barred street fight would be a wonderful bit of tv I agreed. And talking about a wonderful bit of TV, last podcast we waxed lyrical about the wonderful uh, Netflix series The Get Down. And now it's got canned. <laughs> and then, like three days afterwards, it was like, eh, eh, it's, <laughs> it's been put in the bin. 
and we were like oh yeah but i can understand why because it was costing like a million dollars an episode <laughs> it was yeah maybe don't do that guys don't uh, shit your budget at the wall <laughs> yeah that was but it oh, also yeah. proved another bit we got wrong was it proved netflix isn't bulletproof because netflix no. the whole thing with them was they have the metrics they know what people are going to watch and it turns out that either people Netflix never say what's happening that either they just weren't shifting the units outside of Netflix or people weren't just just weren't watching it or you know to justify the expense which is a shame because it was great yeah I really did enjoy the get down they had characters that were flawed but lovable and you really rooted for them because they're really up against the wall they were lovable they were so You'll never know unless someone gives Baz Luhrmann another couple of squillion dollars. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. It's interesting. But, uh, but yeah, Netflix shows are not infallible. Is that the no. right word? Um, is anything else we've been watching? Cause we, the, the, this month we've been watching a lot of telly. We did. I've had some time at home um, due to personal shenanigans. And, uh, yeah, so we've basically watched a lot of TV. Getting the Now TV subscription sorted out for Swim Peaks. We were like, oh, what else is on here? Well, Game of Thrones. We're yeah. coming up to the end of the sixth season, finally. Yeah. Um, it's as brutal as we remember. Um, still got our favourite characters, though. It was disturbing how much I knew was going to happen purely from the amount that everyone else had gone on about it. Yeah, so like spoilers happen, like the Hodor spoilers and things. But it's yeah, still, that it's thing, still fun. Interestingly, that's turned out to be my office place's casual conversation. Mm. Maybe not particularly work appropriate, but you know, <laughs> you, you you discuss it within your means. But yeah, the, I really like the fact that my office talks about Game of Thrones and not bloody EastEnders. Yeah, yeah, that can get in the bin. Um, but and we also found Silicon Valley, which which is one of those series that people go and watch it, watch it, it'll be great. And we just not got around to it, and then we watched one episode and we were just like, yeah, the rest of it. Oh, we were so hooked because Andy and I actually met in some form of the tech industry without giving away info and whatnot. Um, so yeah, all the corporate shenanigans that happens in the fictional Hooli company um, with the guys at Silicon Valley, and then working on games and things in in people's own time and NDAs and oh it's crazy so it's Mike Judge doing a story about uh, Pied Piper which is basically a company started by a bunch of geeks in Silicon Valley uh, it's making jokes out of geek culture the startup culture going on in Silicon Valley the cutthroat venture capitalism and, and all the shenanigans going on there you've got a cast of was about three or four main characters five six young male geeks are the main characters so two female characters in the later series yeah um that disparate of venture capitalists yes they are both yeah. of them are vcs and the characterization i think is handled quite well yeah there's uh there's also there is they do have female female programmers turn up quite a bit they do actually yeah it's just that they're normally not hanging out with the main characters because the mm -hmm. main characters are intentionally pitched at being socially awkward and not that great with talking to women which is cliche but the, the, the main characters are definitely the cliche but they do regularly show the not cliche the normal person side of the whole geek thing which is quite cool yeah they are they're all flawed but they're all quite complex characters you do want Pied Piper to succeed yeah it is interesting we're coming up to the end of the fourth season now it is interesting to see how the concept of pied piper pivots and oh. the the gaining of money and the loss of money and direction 
It's crazy. They burnt through several million dollars of money and produced surprisingly little, which I guess is... It, 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 on the one hand, it's really easy to have sympathy towards them because they're likeable characters. But on the other hand, I'm also being asked to have sympathy for a bunch of quite wealthy people that whenever they lose a million dollars, their first reaction is, shit, how do I eat ever again? Yeah. Um, You'd have thought they'd learn by season four, but not obviously And every not. single one of them, it's like, we could stop doing this and go and get a job that will give a lifestyle most people would describe as incredibly nice if we just signed up for a regular job in the industry. Maybe that's what they'll do in a later series. Yeah. But it is roller coaster. It's yeah. interesting the loopholes that each side will come up with. I've managed to spot a couple. I don't know whether that's my experience in the tech industry or not. But having having knowledge of things like um you know, hearing about the fact that painting mm. painting trolls exist. Yeah. Um if if you know the if you yeah. know the kind of industry they've been in, it's quite easy to spot what's coming around the corner and because it is a comedy it's it's a comedy of errors as soon as something turns up you know it's a setup to a to a fall yeah when you see it though that just adds yeah. to the cringe and that's there was one incident where yeah you you, you did leave the house that's because it was so obvious a setup and yeah. the garden did need watering <laughs> um but the one yeah. the, the one thing I will say is it also definitely shows the problem Mike Judge has got with working class people. Mike Judge is a judgmental dick. <laughs> Mike judgmental. I don't. There, there, there are the people who the only people we've seen so far to actually do a real solid tangible work are normally presented as terrible people in the tech industry you've got these people working in a server farm which is a tangible real product that actually does something and makes money and they're basically presented as dullards anyone you know the people using the technology in a um, insurance company are all a bit dull it's if, if you're if you're not a super out there with it person then he just thinks you're a bit shit maybe this is why you prefer Mike Judge's previous film Office Space to another previous film Idiocracy no I liked Idiocracy I just yeah I know but you probably preferred Office Space because of these reasons whereas your main criticism of Idiocracy was because you felt that your average Joe was shat upon a little bit from a relatively high height yeah, Idiocracy I had an issue with because it was the whole premise of Idiocracy for people who haven't seen it is someone affect some some guy falls gets uh, knocked three hundred years into the future where quote unquote the Idiocracy has taken over and it's pe- it's basically people that listened to advertising and who just got on with their lives without necessarily being highly analytic of what was going on. And they were all presented as dumb, horrible people. But actually, they were quite nice because no one in it was malicious. As soon as someone turned around and went, "I have proof, and I'm a, and I'm an expert," they all went, "Yeah, all right, we'll listen to him." And you got Terry Crews as the president of America going around on a trike with no no sport, and no one at any point mentioned his race. Um, I mean, obviously, they mentioned the fact that it's Terry Crews and he's awesome, but oh yeah, and he didn't—you said he didn't have security. He so had no security. So no he... one was going to take a pop at him. So that, yeah. those were positive things. It, I think the a lot of people read *Idiocracy* in a really snobby way, where mm. I was like, okay, they needed help and the things weren't going perfect, but the people were pleasant. 
Mm. And that read on that. So I, I again, I just think Mike Judge is really judgmental of people like that. And with the Silicon Valley, it was definitely there were a couple of bits where it was like the main characters were seen by normal folks as being jokes. But more often than not, if they ever properly interacted with not regular people. They, I, I thought that regular people were being presented as a bit of waste, you know, a bit of a waste. Mm, so possibly. However, I think the flip side of that is that these highly intelligent but socially awkward people really do get their comeuppance when they deserve it. Oh, they do. Yeah. But again, they're pissing away billion, millions of dollars, and no one's really suffering from it. No. <laughs> true, true. It's yeah. all like not very tangible stuff. We never see them Scrooge McDuck style jumping into a pool of squillions of dollars. It's all yeah. online. It's all figures. So your favorite character is a Big Head. Big Head I I I thinks I like him cuz he's a pleasant guy. Is this this <laughs> It's a guy in this series who who is useless and knows he's useless and through, a, again, a brilliant comedy of errors keeps on getting all these ridiculous promotions and all these ridiculous positions because other people have given it to him and it, it's just this failing up situation which is utterly, utterly unrealistic other than the fact that I've met so many people in that industry that I'm like, how are you even here? You're a fool. Why are you doing this job? And I'm not saying like, oh, I disagree. I'm talking like people that I'm like, how did you remember to open the door when you came in this room? So yeah, yeah, it's that level of simplicity with Big Head. He does have a big heart though. But, but that, that's the thing. Big Head knows also, that he's an idiot. Yeah, and he doesn't get why it's happening to him either. So that's no. why I, I like him. He's almost he's almost like the victim, as it were. But he yeah, he loses a couple million dollars, and he's like, oh yeah, okay, fine. He doesn't yeah. get upset. Not vindictive. So I, I like him. He's always swallowing those big gulp slushies that you yeah. see very stereotypical of things like the games industry and whatnot oh yeah there's a lot of stereotyping going on yeah it was was an interesting thing i like jared because he's got a complex and secretive but tragic backstory (laughs) every episode there's something really really upsetting that comes out from his secret past and he just he just drops it in Um, yeah and he keeps wanting to give people a hug when good news happens because he's like the most optimistic character and everyone's like oh no no i can't and they're all being really awkward and he's like oh no no okay okay so like he goes to hug them but everybody kind of they bring their wrists up to their shoulders sort of awkward stiff arm movements he's a lovely chap but frankly i'm pretty sure he knows what it's like to taste the last breath of a dying man (laughs) (laughs) you just don't know what's going on and i think it no that it makes no logical sense the stories that uh, no it's, you know, it's, even his name is from uh, when one of the CEOs called him that and it's stuck it's not even his real name <laughs> yeah he doesn't care that's fine <laughs> no he doesn't he moves on to the bigger picture but he's really calm like yes. when people do lose their entire hard drives and things he's like don't worry we can find it I'm like what yeah. who, who can stay calm in a situation of anxiety like that but Jared. he does Jared does yeah so yeah, did you know? I found out it's facts. He's played a couple of other roles in different things, but did you know he was the tour guide, Aldridge Manson, in Ghostbusters: Answer the Call? <laughs> did not know that. Yeah, poor baby. <laughs> the cast is brilliant. Yeah, the interaction is so brilliant. Funny, oh my god! Even it's... the hateful, misogynistic characters. Honestly, you yeah. end up you laugh at, but you don't. You do end up laughing with the yeah. cast and the crew of Pied Piper. It's it's definitely worth a look. Yep. 
that's the end of the show for July 2017. Hooray! Thank it's all you. over. Thank you for listening and for all of those who contacted us with feedback and comments. We love to hear from people. So if you have any thoughts on the show or things you want us to discuss, then please email us at superfortresshg at gmail.com. And if you liked it, then please share it with your friends. The intro and outro music is The Game Is On. Uh, that was written by Ross Bugden. And we want to give a thank you to everyone who contributed meanwhile to the show. Uh, links are in the episode information. The Raggedy Jam podcast is a free broadcast available from raggedyman.net forward slash the Raggedy Jam podcast, as well as iTunes, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, and SoundCloud. And as a fan to keep you cool in the hot summer weather. Pink Apple Jam can be found at Pink Apple Jam Art on Facebook and on the website pinkapplejam.com. Raggedy Man can be found on Twitter at Raggedy Man and at his website raggedyman.net. So till next time, goodbye and farewell from the Super Fortress Hardcore Genki. Bye! Bye. Bye.